0: Welcome to Behind the Bob Diary of the Comms Director with me, Carrie Ann Wade. This podcast is all about developing communications leaders of the future and supporting you to grow and thrive in your comms career. You'll hear from me about my experiences and insights and there might even be a special guest or two popping up, so I hope you enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Behind the Bob and it is one of our special episodes where there is a guest so you don't just have to listen to me talking. We've got a fabulous communicator here with us in the guise of Lisa Ward. So Lisa, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
1: I'm very good. Thank you, Carrie and I'm feeling really honoured to be part of your new series so it's lovely to be here.
0: Oh, thank you so much for being here. So you and I have known each other A fair few years now from the NHS communications world, I'll let you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about maybe who you are, what you're up to at the moment, and perhaps you could tell us a little bit, Lisa, about your comms
1: career to date. Mm. Thank you. So I'm Lisa Ward. I have been in public sector communications for, gosh, I was going to give away my age, about 28 years now. Yes, it is coming out for 28 years in September. So I'd started off in a cancer research campaign as well. So I started off in charity comms, actually, by accident. With thanks to my mum, actually, she was helping look for a job. She spotted this job in PR week. I think it was for a press assistant and the rest is history. So I, I ended up in a charity, loved it, and then spent some time at health education authority worked on the skin cancer campaign, so there's a lot of stuff around Slip, Slap, Slop. I don't know if people remember that. (laughs) Um, Good campaign,
0: um, I do, so that might be giving my age away as well.
1: (laughs) And had the opportunity to do it around the country and do a lot of kind of education and work with other communicators in terms of helping them to spread the word. And then I had a bit of a brief foray out into the private sector because I was in my sort of mid-twenties and thought, I wonder what it's like in an agency, because I knew people had gone into agencies. I didn't last that long. I was there about 18 months, worked with the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, it was a really interesting kind of diversion out of the public sector for a little while, but I knew I wanted to get back into it, because I think it does suck you in. I also think one of the big things for me is the people in public communications. I think that's what always draws me back is like yourself. and I've got such an amazing network of friends and colleagues I've worked with over the years and who I'm very much in touch with and we'll still have all those kind of helpful conversations about what to do about particular issues and it's such a supportive community and that in terms of why should you choose public sector communications that would be my number one is I think it is a really great community in terms of embracing everybody and sharing. There isn't this sort of, no, I'm not going to share this information. I'm not going to share my ideas. It's absolutely not like that. I went into government. So worked at the Department of Health for seven or eight years, which was fantastic. Real highlights. Worked with some amazing cabinet secretaries, worked on some amazing stuff. So worked on the Victoria Columbia inquiry, some really big white paperwork probably made some of my closest communications friends there because I think when you're working in such a fast-paced political environment where who knows what's going to happen from one day to the next you get become quite tight so that was that was a really great experience and I had the opportunity to work at number 10 while I was there and again that really gives you that insight as to how everyone fits into that big picture and watch what happens at the top of the tree. So that was really good experience. And then I ventured into the NHS and joined the Royal Surrey as their first ever head of communications and marketing. They didn't, they'd never had anything. No. This was in 2008. So I left my very nice job at the Department of Health, encouraged by some really great people i particularly want to shout out to matt t who i'm sure some of you have heard of he really encouraged me to broaden my horizons and go for that bigger job in the nhs and i'm really grateful that he did but i turned up the chief execs pa had just been answering the phone to the press on and off that was it that was all they had so i turned up i had a desk no computer no phone They didn't really know what to do with me. And I remember spending the first week thinking, do I phone my old boss and ask to go back because it just felt really hard. And then I'd just gone into the swing of it, started to make the connections with the people out in other NHS organizations and spent five years there having established a proper and marketing function, which has gone from strength to strength. So that's one of the things I'm really proud of because it's not the easiest thing to do. I had two very small children at the time as well. So I was much younger, so I think that helped. That was a huge thing. And then that kind of set me off really on that NHS journey and did another head of comms job at Kingston, which is my local hospital. It's where my children were born. So that was quite nice to have that local connection with the organization as well. It's an organization my family uses. So that was great in terms of really feeling part of that organization. I had a real vested interest in it being successful, which I think is not that I haven't in all my other organizations, but I think when it's part of your community, it's really important. And then as you carry on where we did quite a lot of work together as NHS providers, as head of communications. And I think one of the most rewarding bits about that was, first of all, bringing that comms network together And really helping that to fly and connecting people up and giving that kind of advice to colleagues, because there is always something that's going on somewhere in the country. And it's just helpful for, I think, for them to sometimes have someone who's not totally in the thick of it to just have that conversation about what would you do? And then also connecting people with others as well who they may not have been connected with. And that's another thing I really like is that connections that you can make and thinking, I know somebody could really help you with that, putting them in touch with the right person. And then I think the pandemic again was hugely rewarding because we were thrown into it. It felt quite quickly. I'm sure it did for you. And I just think we, that opportunity to just be that little bit of support, a bit of care for the colleagues across the NHS be the voice of the NHS as well, because it was very difficult as for NHS trusts and NHS leaders to go up and say what they wanted to say about what they were doing. So I think we were able to just offer that role of speaking for our colleagues, staying in touch with you throughout, keeping people connected, and I hope helping people to keep going because it was really tough. And that, interestingly, that was the thing that made me want to go back into a trust. Maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment, but I miss that being on the front line that was when I moved to Portsmouth which was my last role but now I have I've got a big birthday next year so I got to that point in life where thinking about what does the next 10 to 15 years look like I spent nearly 30 years doing turbulent roles and working my way up and so I'm now looking to explore maybe something a bit different maybe do a bit of freelancing and just see what else is out there because I think you get to a point in that midpoint in your life where you just think okay what else can I do what else can I offer to people how can I consolidate what I've done so that's where I am now and how
0: exciting for you to be moving into that space Lisa mm-hmm. and so much of what you said has really resonated with me And I'm still chuckling about the chief execs PA being the press office because I think I <laughs> Early in our careers in the NHS, that seemed to be the model for comms. Yes, so, yes. you're right, that kind of progressing that. So, actually, really building com- a communications function mm. and bringing that expertise into an organization is a really rewarding part of working in our field, I think. But it did just make me chuckle So I'm like, I've had that experience <laughs> too. So, yeah, that was making me laugh yes. a little bit there. Yeah. But there was, a f- a firstly, I will say as well, a huge thank you to you and your role at NHS providers because. Actually, what I loved about you being in that space, Lisa, is because you had that experience from being in a provider Mm. organisation. I think you had that added bit of expertise and kind of sense of what other NHS comms leads were going through in that provider Mm. space. And you absolutely, as are the team at NHS providers, a real advocate for developing our profession, which is something I'm really passionate about. And I think Mm. comms can easily be seen as the kind of add-on or the fluffy nice-to-have. And it's lovely to work with other comms professionals who absolutely see the strategic value Mm. of communications and advocate for that. A thank you from me and other provider comms leads, I'm sure, for the impact that you had in that space. So you've talked a bit about the public sector sucking you in. Mm. And it sounds a lot from what you said, like what's attracted you to the roles you had. Is there something for me that you said about connections? And yeah. having an impact, I think, for people yeah. seeing that you're having an impact. Was there anything else that attracted you to working in that public sector kind of space? Or has it literally just been the way that your career's taken you right from that first charity sector role and natural progression?
1: I think it's probably a bit of both. I think there was a natural progression, but I very quickly, when I was a cancer research campaign, the thing that I really loved, so I trained as a journalist. So I've always loved the storytelling and also the kind of human interest side of press and communications. So I think being a Cancer Research Campaign, a lot of it was around telling the story because obviously your whole point was to try and get more funds in and get support for the charity. But I really loved working with the scientists who were doing amazing stuff to find new kind of breakthroughs and treatments for cancer care and then meeting those patients and families who had been directly impacted. I really got sucked into that storytelling and also being able to just directly meet people who were benefiting from what we were doing, I suppose, back in the office in central London where we were sitting and seeing the difference it was making and also hearing why people wanted to support the charity. So that was a really big thing for me is being able to do that. And then, obviously, I've always liked to seek out those stories. And even when I was in government, one of the roles I did, one of my last roles there, was Chief Press Officer for the region. So this is where I really started to get to know the NHS better. So I'd work really closely with colleagues across the country. I went around the country with Patricia Hewitt, who was the then Health Secretary. And so a big part of that was finding those stories, looking for where we could go and see what the kind of government policy and how it was actually working in real life and how it was affecting patients in real life and staff as well, particularly. And one of the things she did a lot of actually was then, and this is where it introduced me to that importance of the engagement of your colleagues and getting them on board and making sure you're listening to colleagues. She did a lot of round tables with a group of staff from various organizations. And I really saw the impact that that had. So again, they were able to tell their stories. They felt safe to tell them and it really helped to inform her kind of decision-making in terms of what we needed to be focusing on as a department. And then obviously the NHS is full of that, isn't it? It's full of the stories and, and I just love them those making those relationships and, engaging with a variety of people and in all of my particularly my nhs roles i've always made sure i've had connections in the organizations at all sorts of levels in all sorts of roles and you've known me a long time Carrie, on i will pretty much talk to anyone i'll talk about anything and i just used to like the opportunity to go out and about and just find out what it was felt like out there and then out of that you'd end up finding out something really amazing and they'd mention we have this really interesting patient and I think they'd be happy to tell their story and and so it was it's that stuff that I think is really great and that's obviously transferable into all sorts of public sector arenas it's that getting to know the people that you are actually looking after providing services to the staff who are doing that and you know that there are the most incredible staff stories as well aren't there that you will hear just their journeys in terms of how they've got to where they are and why they've they passionate about a particular thing that they do. And so, again, I think that's if you like storytelling, if you like to be able to see what your small role in that organisation can do and the direct impact it has on people's lives, I think, again, that's a great reason to think about the public sector because you, if you want it, you'll have that opportunity and spades, I would
0: say. I love that. Thank you, Lisa. And I think, it, yeah, the public sector offers the chance. I, th- I feel like communicators are naturally people if that makes Mm, sense I would just definitely describe you as a people person and that seeing that impact for other people I think is a really important part of why we do what we do so I think that's a really great example of that Mm. so I'm going to move us into a slightly different space in the Mm -hmm. conversation now because we've talked about lots of the positives and it's been really great to hear Mm. about your kind of career journey as a communicator but I was intrigued to know whether you've experienced any barriers or blockers in your communications career to date that you'd be happy to share with us?
1: So I think it wasn't a bit of a barrier but I would say this is when I first felt I experienced a little bit of discrimination but interestingly from other colleagues not necessarily my I suppose my boss at the time so when I was at Department of Health I had my first child. I was a chief press officer and it was not something that many people had done was go on maternity leave. It's quite a young profession and it's busy. It can be round the clock. And so I went through a whole pregnancy. I did a lot of going around the country with John Reed while I was quite heavily pregnant as well and went off on maternity leave, came back sort of six, seven months later, full term, full time. And it was quite, and I needed to get back to work. I knew I'd always want to work once I'd had children. And so I used to share all the childcare in terms of the nursery pickups and drop-offs with my husband, Tim. Really good that he had a very supportive employer as well. So I would be going in very early on the days where I had to leave earlier to go to nursery. And then obviously I would stay later if I'd uh, dropped Xavier off at nursery. But there were definitely... A few comments about oh you're leaving already are you and whereas i would have been in the office probably two hours before most people because i knew i had to leave early and then a few things around oh you might not be able to do that because you've got a baby not much but i proved everybody wrong i think and there was a bit of always lisa up to it she used to be really good and interestingly really tragic event but it helped me to get back into the groove was The 7-7 bombings was about five weeks after I went back back to work. And I think I probably was not floundering, but just finding it hard to get my mojo back because when you've got a six-month-old baby and you're trying to work in a busy government press office, it's quite a lot. And my brilliant boss, John Hibbs, who is now an NHS communicator, he's he's a director in the NHS, he said to me, you're in charge today you're in charge, you're going to deal with all the stuff. You'll have to go to COBRA and you'll have to set up a kind of press briefing just so we can explain what the NHS is doing in response. Best thing you ever did. And I think it was after that I proved to people that you could do it. And I've had people since say to me, you are an absolute trailblazer because we hadn't seen many people like you have a baby, come back full time and just get on with it. And so there's been a number of female younger female colleague since he said you inspired me that i could do that too and although at the time it felt hard and i felt a little bit like an outsider oh that's the one with the baby i'm glad that it helped others to feel that yes i can do that too i think that was the first one and i think one of the barriers would say would be my own barrier so i am a people person and i give the kind of I am sadly confident, but I think sometimes my lack of faith in myself and thinking, oh, I can't do that, maybe has stopped me going for certain things over the years. It's that classic, I hate it, imposter Strength syndrome. You look at a job, think, I can't do all of that, so I won't bother. And I think sometimes not always having the confidence to say what I really think, trying to hold the line. So I... I think sometimes that's put my own barriers in place. As I'm on a bit of a, as I said, I've had a bit of a break. I've had a bit of a think. And I think it's about thinking about how I can make sure I'm being really authentic in whatever role I do next. And then I think also, again, one of the reasons I have taken a bit of a step back is that I'm going to talk about the menopause a little bit. I hope that doesn't put people off because I know there's a lot of stuff around the menopause. But I think, again, one of the things... I think all organizations need to get better at and I think it is getting better. I was talking to a, an older colleague the other week who's 10 years ahead, and she said when I went through it, nobody talked about it. It was not mentioned, and you wouldn't be able to mention it. And so at least now it is talked about. There is a lot more awareness in organizations. But I did feel that it was difficult to manage everything while going through some quite difficult menopause symptoms and periods of time so I think again it's not necessarily a barrier but I think sometimes you have to evaluate what you can do how you can look after yourself and I've been very fortunate that I've been able to take that step back make the decision to do something a bit different and make sure that I'm as well as I can be so I think I'd like to see more of that support for because everyone will go through it and particularly the nhs it is a massively female organization i hope that just gets better and better in terms of understanding that it it isn't just about hot flushes and it isn't just about stopping your periods it's about it impacts so much more than that and i'd like to see that there is increasing awareness and support for women going through that because It it might just be a few little adjustments that are needed in terms of the flexibility, that side of it. And so I think I am seeing it get better and I just hope that continues because I wouldn't want people to think they couldn't be doing the big senior jobs or any job while going through the menopause.
0: I, I think you've raised some really interesting points and a lot resonate with me. And I would say my own personal experience of the menopause has been One of the most challenging things for me, like you say, it's not always about the obvious things—hot flushes, periods—but actually, Mm. I just lose my words, and I I can't. And as a communicator, that feels really disempowering, (laughs) to the point where I'm having to try and describe the (laughs) words. Like the other day, I was like, "Can you pass me the the cutty things with the plastic handles on the end?" And it's like scissors, yes, Yes, scissors, but it's just literally flown from my brain, and it's it is really.
1: Mm. Nerve-wracking, I find. And overwhelming. It yeah. yeah, And I think for me, the anxiety was the, probably the worst bit, which I'd never really suffered with before. Mm. Quite overwhelming. And like you say, just that ability to remember things, it does mess with your brain. And so I think it's just people having more awareness that it's such a broad thing, isn't it, menopause? I think there's something like 37 symptoms, aren't there, now that they've identified and I did feel at one point I had pretty much all of them. But yeah, so I think it, it's good that it's been talked about a lot more. And I do feel for those women who behind us mm-hmm. went through quite a lot and suffered a lot by themselves, I think.
0: Yeah. And you, I think you started to touch on it a bit in terms of what what we might be able to do to... try and reduce some of those challenges for other people going forward. And around Mm. the menopause, I definitely think it's about that educational Mm. piece, more understanding, thinking about what employers can do to support women to stay Mm. in the workplace, whether that's a small adjustment or maybe a bigger one, Yes, being able to do that. And it's the other end of the spectrum in some respects. I guess it's the same around the maternity piece that actually... You know, what? what is it that we can be doing to make it easier for really good expert mm. communications professionals and others? My interest is in comms people, but it's yes. just about communicators. How can we keep these really good people in our organizations and our workplaces yes. and make it easy for them to experience what they're experiencing, whether that's through motherhood or menopause, but yeah. also be able to do their jobs as well?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's also around supporting fathers to do that as well, because I think sometimes that's even harder. It's for our male colleagues to be able to put their hands up and say, actually, I need to have some flexibility as well, because I'm caring for my children because they are my children. So I think I've always made sure. And I think because of the results of feeling like I was one of the first to do what I did in the organization I was in, Is has been very understanding and, and supportive of that need for flexibility. Because for me, I've never really watched the clock. I don't really look at how many hours somebody does. For me, it's around that deliverable. Are they doing what we need them to do in that role and are they happy? Are they supported? Are they thriving? Uh, And not necessarily, wow! I think they might have left half an hour early. I think that's rubbish. I think it's very outdated. I just think we need to be a lot more flexible in terms of the hours people work and how they might work. I understand there's always going to be a need to be in certain meetings in certain times of the day. I get that. But I do think there is more we can do and not just around childcare or other care responsibilities. I think it's also around supporting people's mental health and their well being. So if it helps them to have a 2 hour break in the day to go and do some exercise or do something different and that energizes them and they come back and they're able to smash out the afternoon brilliant absolutely happy to support that i think i think there's we need to trust that people if you give them that flexibility and you give them that care and support you'll get more out of them that's absolutely what i've seen
0: Yeah. And it's refreshing to hear that because I don't think we hear that enough from leaders in organizations. But I also think if I think about the role that communicators play in their organization, I think communicators are immensely flexible. And Mm. my experience of comms professionals is they always go above and beyond the pandemic that you mentioned earlier is an excellent example of that, isn't it? Like people Mm. out of hours support, crisis management, all of that stuff where communicators give a lot to their organization in terms of mm. not only time but energy and expertise so actually yes to be able to give that back to help somebody to manage what's going on in their life feels really important so mm. I, I hope people listening to this who are aspiring comms leaders or are already comms leaders have the same outlook as you because I think that is really healthy and I know we've talked previously in conversations Mm. Lisa about you you can't look after everyone else if you're not looking after yourself and that's an important part of it but Mm. I still feel there is this culture of having to ask permission to look after your own well-being and we need to crack that so yeah Mm. people need to be more Lisa is what I'm getting from that that conversation so thank Thank you. you that's very kind thank you for sharing Are you a communications professional who would like to feel more confident in your career choices? Perhaps you'd like to be more intentional in the way you approach your work life. Our Cat's Pyjamas Thrive Programme is a 12-week structured online programme that supports communications professionals to grow and thrive. It's a safe space for discussion, action, and accountability, all with the aim of helping you to thrive as a communicator and as a leader. The next Thrive Programme starts on the 1st of September, and if you'd like to find out more, or reserve your place on the programme, visit the website, catch up with us on the socials, or drop us a line. I'm just going to, you've talked a bit about this already, I think, in terms of some of the highlights of your mm. career so far, particularly around some of the campaigns mm. that you've supported. But what, ha- what have for you been the standout moments in your comms career? Because we've talked about some of the challenges, but I never like for it all to be about the difficult stuff. I like to celebrate success as well. So what have been yes. some of your standout moments in your career, Lisa?
1: So I would definitely come back to Royal Stories. So going, coming from nothing to building up a team, bringing in comms and marketing, setting a strategy for the organisation and getting buy-in from many people across the organisation and particularly some of the clinicians. So I made it my business to go out and meet as many as possible, go back to that storytelling piece, just to understand what made Royal Sorry stand out, what should we be telling people about it. And I think one of the greatest things, I had a very tricky conversation with one of the consultants who didn't really understand the point of me. This was when I hadn't been there for very long. And then only six months later, he came back to me, apologised, and asked me to help him design his website pages. I know it's a small thing, but I felt that by putting that effort in and also, but by showing the organization that things were different, they felt different. For a start, they had regular communications out to the organization because they were hearing about what was happening from the local papers or occasionally something might go out from the chief executive. But people felt that they were part of something, and they were they had more they had that advance notice on other people. And then, not long after that, we did that. I remember the days where people applied to be foundation trusts? So three months public consultation. So that was done. I'd only been in the organ less than a year. So around this big consultation, we were successful, and that feeling of I, I played a really big part of that. I spent a lot of time in deepest winter, in very cold church halls in Surrey, and Hampshire, explaining to people, and it was always quite hard to explain to people, why do we want to be a foundation trust? And then helping to set up at first of a council of governors. So that stuff was very different to what I'd done before in government, but really rewarding because we'd started, as I said, I started with a desk and ended up with this proper function lovely big office for us all. It, it It was great. So I'd say that was a definite highlight. And then just going back to government, just being able to work on some of the kind of major campaigns and major kind of policy announcements that we did. So one of the first things I did was work on the Victoria Columbia inquiry. So Victoria Columbia, you may remember, but for those that don't, was a little girl who was murdered by her relatives after sustaining a lot of abuse. There's a very long running inquiry. And so very new to government, had the honor of being given this really big piece of work to put together and pulled together, really, a report was pulled together. We did a lot of work with the media, a lot of work with stakeholders. And so again, although I think the one thing that does sadden me is that We have seen a lot more of those types of cases since then. However, at the time it was quite groundbreaking. It was one of those first major inquiries into why did this happen? What needs to change? And I do hope eventually more will change, but again, it was a real privilege to work on that. And then I think also just my most recent role, that was my first board director role. So being able to have that seat at the table as a communications and engagement professional is a huge honor. I've obviously attended board and sat on the sidelines and contributed when asked, but it was a huge privilege to be sat around the table with the board of the organization and to have my voice heard and to be able to contribute to that wider strategic operational direction of the organization and have that wider impact and also just show that how important it is to have comms and engagement around that table because it is that slightly different voice to others sometimes. I think we do think a bit differently and we're always thinking about how will that affect the people at the other end of it? Have we thought about how we might tell the patients about this? And also looking for the positives a lot. We're always I think generally quite a positive bunch of people because we want we know we're in it to spread the good news and try and find those uh, sort of chinks of light sometimes, in, in particularly in the NHS, which it's tough. It is tough at the moment. And it's been a tough four years, hasn't it? Even before the pandemic, it wasn't a bed of roses. And I think it's just, it, it's a hard old organisation to be in. And I think what well, I've always been, happy to do and particularly in my last role was bring a bit of joy and put on things like a really lovely award ceremony and bring staff together and just so we did something called appreciation April just to kick off the new financial year and that was really around looking back and celebrating what we had achieved and then involving the organization in looking forward and asking them How might we deliver what we need to deliver this year? What do you think we need to do? What needs to change? And what can you do to help do that? And then as part of that, we had something called Proud to be PHU. And so again, it's just getting people to think about what are those things that do make them proud? And it can be really small, but I think it's important that we do that. And I think being an exec and having the opportunity to do that and be that kind of role model for people is great and I think also to be to show other communicators that you can end up round the table it's not necessarily an easy journey and I think as we've all experienced many people think they are communications professionals and I think it's about just making sure you show what the added value is and that actually those years of experience and those years of having to use your judgment and just all that experience of dealing with many different situations just Does make you stand out from everyone else. And so I hope people can see that they can have an amazing career from starting right at the bottom in my first ever job. I basically had to, this is in the days before the internet, guys, where we had physical newspapers, to cut out from all the national newspapers every single story related to cancer or the organization, stick them on bits of paper and photocopy them 20 times and then physically walk them around the building. I think. You start from there, but then I've also never forgotten that's what I've done, so I'm still quite happy to stuff an envelope or walk around and deliver stuff if I need to. I think that's another important thing to remember as well is that however far you making up the greasy pole, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty still. Oh, I think that's excellent advice, and I think all the
0: examples that you've given there as highlights of your own career just really demonstrate the breadth of opportunity and what you can Mm. get involved in in, as a communicator in your career and I think that's definitely one of the things that I've loved is that variety like genuinely no two days are ever the same (laughs) when you work in NHS communications or I guess any other sphere of comms particularly in the public sector though I think because Mm. as you've highlighted we're in such a spotlight in terms of the media and sometimes I think others can perceive us looking for those good news stories as but, oh, that's a nice to have but I think yeah. actually the role of doing that is so important in reminding people why we do what we do and what we're yeah. here for because that's- we can so easily be sucked into some of the negativity and the difficulty and the challenge of working in the NHS or the public sector that we can be a bit blinded to yeah. actually what are we all here for and I think yeah. our profession plays a huge role in demonstrating what we're here for in terms of the people that we serve so I think you've given some really brilliant examples and it's been a privilege for me to hear more about your career highlights to date and the ones that I don't know about pre-NHS which is lovely one of the things that we talk about a lot and the reason that I wanted to hear about your highlights was Because I think in our profession, we sometimes struggle to encourage people to see it as a career option of choice. Mm. So whether that's NHS comms specifically or the broader public sector comms, I'm never sure it feels quite so exciting or glossy or dare I use the word sexy as working as a communicator in a different sector. And I think one of the other things that we struggle with in our profession is that diversity Mm. and Mm. I just wondered from your point of view, why should communicators consider a career in public sector comms, but also what can we do to encourage more diversity in this space and in this field? Do you have any thought?
1: So I think on that diversity front, sadly, I think my experience, early experience of being in public sector comms is it was a certain mold of person who was in it. There wasn't a huge amount of diversity and although i'm university educated and everybody i worked with was i don't think that's necessarily something you need at all i'm increasingly i think also having two teenagers who i'm seeing that there are so many other routes to getting what you need out of your life and one of the things i did at kingston actually is took on an apprentice They hadn't had a communications apprentice before. They'd had apprentices in various other parts of the organization, but I asked for one. And I can remember going along to talk to these very scared looking 16-year-olds about why they should join the communications team as an apprentice. And trying to sell it to them as that, no, two days are the same. You can do anything from working with the media, updating the social media, designing a website, doing some internal communications, getting to do a bit of graphic design, potentially writing stories, putting on events. And then there'll be other things that are thrown at you that you did not expect to do that day. And just as an aside, I can always remember the funniest phone call I had when I was at Royal Surrey is that there were some ducks who had set up a nest in the middle of one of the courtyards. And did I know what to do about it? And I remember thinking, Really not sure why that's... And we didn't know who else to ring. And it's that classic. So we rang communications.
0: We're the problem solvers, aren't we, Lisa? If we've got a problem come to
1: comms, they'll work out how to solve it, even if it's not a communications thing. (laughs) Yeah, so that was just an aside. But I think... So I ended up with this amazing girl called Meg, who joined our team at 16. She was, wouldn't say boo to a goose, probably for the first month or so. And then I had a really brilliant cons manager, Holly, who trained her up, worked really closely with her. And within six months, she was like a different person. She was going out into the organization, taking photographs, asking people questions, helping to start right things. We, we sent her on a number of training courses and really got her trained up. And she left school with not a huge amount of qualifications at 16 and was really struggling to work out what she was going to do. And I just, we just saw something in her. She wanted to do it. And I'm just trying to think now, how many years later is it? It must be eight years later now. Yeah, eight, nine years. She's still in communications. She's still in HS communications. She's worked her way up. And that's from coming into our office all those years ago and looking a bit frightened. And the best thing is, and I've still got this, her mum emailed me six months in and just, and it made me cry. And it still makes you feel quite emotional now when she said, you've changed her life i i have a completely different child you've given us you've given her a reason to get up in the morning and she loves it so i just want to say thank you and it's that thing, that sort of thing that's why i do what i do because if she were on paper you'd go gosh she can't work in communications but she can and i think this is the thing is you've just got to give people a chance you've got to take the time to just work with them and figure out what they need because i think anyone can do it i don't you don't need a degree you don't need a masters I know I probably shouldn't be saying this because i know there's lots of people who do all of that but if you want to come in and start at the bottom you can still make your way up you can still have an amazing career in communications sorry i'm i've got a little tear now because it's me just too. One those, stop it yeah, i'm, I'm, like, oh, I'm going to cry now it's just one of those real highlights for me the other thing I did that with Adam Rimolo when we were at providers, but we started the comms trainee. So this was really inspired by Ranjit, who we both know really well, who's done a huge amount, I think, in terms of that increasing diversity. He's a real role model for that as well, in terms of, look, you can do this. And so we brought in our own first ever comms trainee. And again, it is just brilliant because so many of the jobs say you need one to two years experience. Or a degree or a master's, and it's so it's just taking a chance on someone who hasn't done a day's work in communications but has the drive to drive and it's just investing a bit of your time, and I have to say and that's what puts people us oh so time and we'll have to sit with them and train them and stuff, but you know what the reward is huge, and I think it's the same with I've always encouraged work experience as well because. People won't know what it's like unless you give them the chance. And there are always those little gems. And I think in terms of the diversity, I think it is around us trying to work out how we do reach out to those communities and those people who might not think that they can do it and making sure that we have the right role models. So telling Meg's story, I was an apprentice and we did tell her story. And there was an apprentice at Portsmouth who ended up winning Apprentice of the Year because of just what she'd managed to achieve. So I think we've just got to make sure we're telling those stories so that people see people like them and go, oh, okay. That's a similar background to me. I could do that. So that I don't have loads of pearls of wisdom, but I think it's you've just got to put a bit of effort in, but the reward's massive. I love that.
0: I love that. I was getting emotional when you were telling that story about Meg. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's and it's really powerful, isn't it? It's that taking a chance, giving opportunities to people. But I love yes. what you said about sh- showing people there's, there are different routes into this. You don't have Absolutely. to go down a traditional route. And I myself, I do have a degree now, but I didn't when I started my career yeah. at all. And actually, I, I think I'd had three jobs in NHS comms before I decided that I wanted to do a degree. Yeah. And that wasn't for my career progression. That was something that I wanted to achieve for me. And yeah. I did my degree whilst I worked full time in NHS yeah. comms. So you wow. absolutely don't have to have that. I'm coming yes. in ready-formed, ready-made with all the academic side yeah. of things. And quite often, I feel like a lot of recruitment into teams that I've built has been about people having the right attitude, the right values, absolutely. the desire. And you can teach the techie
1: stuff, can't you? So You I can. Think, you can. And yeah. I always have a really good feeling about, most of the people have had a really good feeling about almost five minutes into meeting them have turned out to to be absolutely the right people. doesn't always work, but I'd say probably 90% of the time, you get that feeling, don't you, that they have got the right attitude, their values are good. And actually, I think the other thing with comms it's you are tight as a team and you've got to think about will they work with the rest of the team. That is such an important thing. And again, I think it's important to potentially let them meet the team before they start as well as part of that. One of the
0: brilliant things while we're on recruitment and we're giving shout outs to some amazing comms people, by the way. Mm. So yes, big up Ranjit for everything that he does and Mm. genuinely role modelling everything that he talks about. But also we're talking about recruitment. I love that Jack Adlam, who is one of the comms directors now at an acute trust, he shares interview questions before interviews with people, which I just love. And I don't know why we don't do that as a standard. So if people are feeling anxious or Mm. get a bit overwhelmed, they've already had an opportunity to have a bit of prep time in a way that's useful. Because often it can be overwhelming preparing for an interview, can't it? Because you don't actually know what's going to come at you, what examples you might want to have ready. And in that situation, particularly if you've not had a lot of interviews or early on in your career, I think you can do the, oh, my mind's gone blank. Or my mind would go blank with menopause issues to be yeah. fair so actually <laughs> that's, that's a lie that it's about being yeah. early in your career yeah. but but I think having that ability to just see that before you go in I think might actually be something that could help people with that confidence and self belief that we've also talked about in this conversation Lisa so I love people just doing things a bit differently yes
1: and I think that's really important because I I think you in, interview shouldn't be an interrogation you're not sitting an exam and I always think it's more, it's equally about their interviewing you because it's a big decision to join an organisation. So it, it is a two-way street. And so I hope I try and make people feel as comfortable as possible. And I like to think that I'm having a really good conversation rather than grilling somebody and feeling like they've got to live up to some sort of expectation. It should be just a really healthy conversation. Absolutely. So I could talk to you all day, Lisa, but I
0: know you've probably got other things like to do with your day. I'm going to try and wrap us up if I can Mm -hmm. and just say on that kind of topic of considering a a comms career in the public sector and supporting some of that diversity aspect that we've talked about. Is there one practical step out of some of the things that you've shared that listeners could take today to encourage more diversity and different people into a career in public sector comms?
1: think as managers and leaders it is around looking for opportunities to reach out to different parts of your communities so for example if you're offered the chance to get an apprentice take it and make that work there's also things like the project choice as well which is helping people who have particular neurodiversity issues and so and speaking as somebody, as the mother of a child who's got ADHD, I would like to think that he is given opportunities as well. So I think, again, it's about taking those opportunities, also trying to reach out to particular parts of your community, posting about what you do, posting about things that might attract someone who's thinking that's not for me. And trying to give them examples of how it can be for them. So I think we we have a responsibility as people who've had very successful careers to, and I heard a great phrase a few years ago, throw that ladder back down and throw it back down to as wide a net as possible so that we are encouraging those people who may not have smashed out the park in their GCSEs and their A-levels, but I've got so much to give and can be a massive asset to, to our teams and lots of different organizations and have potentially a lot of lived experience that they can really bring to the organization said
0: Lisa and as you talked about throwing that ladder back down I had visions of it being one of those big rope, kind of net things that you see on assault courses where loads yes. of people can climb up at the same time so it's Absolutely. not just one little narrow ladder yeah, it's yeah. That big kind of rope wall that everybody yeah, can that. scramble up I um, love thank that. thank you for putting that image in my head and thank you for reminding me about my responsibility to do just that as well as a leader in our profession. I've had an absolute blast talking to you, Lisa. Thank you for sharing so much. And, you know, what I've loved about this conversation is I think it represents what we do as professionals because we've touched on successes, really great stuff, highlights. We've talked about some challenges as well and the breadth of the conversation in such a short space of time. I hope has been really insightful for people listening. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast series behind the bob, and good luck with whatever adventure comes next for you. While you're working that out, I'm going to keep my bdi on it to know what you're up to next, Lisa. And maybe we'll be inviting you back at some point to talk about what's next for you. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. I've had a I've had a really great time, and it's just been nice to reflect and. Talk about something I'm really passionate about. I'm hugely passionate about what we do. I think it is an absolutely brilliant profession and there are so many different things you can do. I love that. thank you. I'm going to leave it there. I'll leave
0: that dangling for everybody. Thank you so much, Lisa. I've really appreciated it. Take care.
1: Thank you. And you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Bob. I'd love for you to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform and leave a rating or a review. You can also engage with me over on the socials. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at catspjsunderscoreuk. Catch up soon.